head into the Ringerverse to stay up to date with all things superheroes and nerd culture entertainment. Hosted by a rotating lineup of superfans at the Ringer, including Mallory Rubin and Van Lathan, shows will provide instant reactions to blockbuster releases, insightful backstories on canon, and mind-bending theories, as well as fresh takes on the latest news and rumors. Check out the Ringerverse on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian, tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Welcome to Jam Session. I'm Juliette Littman. I'm Amanda Dobbins. We have an exhilarating New York Times article to discuss, which I sure think a lot of people will be talking about. It's about art friends. We'll come back to that. We also got an Adele teaser today, and we had an Instagram outage, and Britney's been freed. We want to start there. Um, Amanda, Jamie Spears has been removed. Yes, she's on her on her way to being freed yeah. in the in the parlance of the internet. But like a, a huge milestone last week in the hearing that we talked about, um, where her father filed to be removed from the conservatorship, and the judge agreed to that, and that is a is a very big deal and something that Britney Spears in particular has apparently been working on for many years at this point. So. That, that's great news. Like, that, I mean, that is, we're going to talk a bit about all of like the, the media around it and this ongoing uh, brouhaha of sorts, some of which is like really exciting and some of which is reminiscent of previous Britney eras. But like, this is an amazing thing that happened. It's pretty wild. I, I, uh, I wasn't sure it would happen. And I think, you know, very frequently the media likes to take credit for like accomplishing things, but it's undeniable in this case that the free Britney movement that has been chronicled in the recent documentaries and in the pages of the New York times and the New Yorker and Huffington post and elsewhere definitely contributed to this. It brought like an urgency and um, a spotlight in a pretty meaningful way. It's, it's pretty huge. Yeah. So Britney Spears clearly thinks that she has been, celebrating on social media this development and seems like very excited, which is also heartening to see. And uh, this week in the middle of the great Instagram outage of 2021, which was really the great Facebook, WhatsApp and Instagram outage of 2021, we'll come back to it um, because Instagram was down. She posted on Twitter, uh, which is notable. She used her standard Instagram form, which is text plus a video of her um, where she doesn't say anything. But in the text itself, she says like free Britney movement. And she uses the hashtag. I have no words because of you guys and your constant resilience and freeing me from my conservatorship. My life is now in that direction. I cried last night for two hours because my fans are the best and I know it. So I think this is pretty fascinating that she is like directly aligning herself with the free Britney movement and on Twitter, which is where these things tend to happen. And you know, she's made reference to it. I think there was even reference to it in court documents from a couple years ago, even before the documentaries. But 
you know, it's so notable to me at least that she's going straight to the hashtag um, and not to any of the other recent media coverage. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's also, I think kind of follows what she has been saying this whole time, which is that like, she actually has been very continues to be frustrated by media reports and, and distrusting of them, but credits her fans, um, for, you know, bringing this to the light and, and, you know, that ultimately taking down her father from his position as the steward of her, as the conservative of her conservatorship. But it's an interesting distinction, particularly since I just like loop, I just grouped them all together, both the fans and the media. But I think that's part to me, at least partially because they were seeking a common goal, even if it came from seemingly different perspectives. But I didn't think any of the recent exposés seemed particularly unfair. Um, but that's kind of besides the point, I guess. It's just sort of more about like how she attributes the attention she gets and and like also what she wants to do next. Also, by all accounts, it seems like she doesn't necessarily love performing or like she, at least she wasn't under the conditions of what she was subjected to before. And I think it's interesting to like care about the community that would attend your performances, but not necessarily want to do the performance. Yeah. Well implied in that, right. Is what does the community care about now? And is the community invested in you or is the community invested in your performances and it does seem over the last few years, the, her fan base, I mean, it seems like they, they love her music and they love her, but it's definitely like what it means to be a fan of Britney has been less about like, you know, here, are like my favorite five songs on like toxic or whatever. And more about here are the legal like intricacies of this particular conservatorship case. And like, what can I do to like, advance her cause, which I, I, I don't mean to, like they did, they did like they did it. And so I don't, I don't mean to um, undermine that in any way. It just like is a different definition of what fandom is and also what it means to be interested in a pop star. And I think like maybe sets up some interesting um, questions about what happens next, you know, totally. like what is their investment in Britney Spears and her life now that this legal battle is over and what does it mean to be a fan of Britney and how much of it is investment in her and how much of it is in like actually leaving her alone to, to go back to the famous video of oh, so many years ago. Yeah. And she herself has said like what she really wants is like the freedom to do regular things. Like she wants to be able to, you know, she fa- now famously said she wants to ride in the car with her boyfriend. Right. And just sort of really quotidian activities like that. And so is what's next for her being a pop star? Like, does she go back to Vegas? Like I'm sure her residency would absolutely crush still, or does she go on tour? Does she record a new album or does she just have total control over her finances now and live a somewhat hermetic life that she wants. Like, I, I don't know. It's also and like, what do her fans want? I, I'm I kind of curious. Right. And I mean, the hermetic life is sort of an interesting question, right? Because all of this has happened with like a lot of extra attention. And I think Brittany is a lot more in our lives than she was even a year ago. And she's a lot more in our lives on her own terms on like Instagram and everything. She really has embraced social media Um, I think in the last year and also all of the attention around her and all of the documentaries and kind of like the second wave of media, whatever, which starts to get into the, I don't want to say queasy making, but like we've been here before, right? The economy around her. And does that just immediately go away? Is everyone like, okay, cool. We've all, you know, done our, done our work and we've learned about conservatorships and, and this problem has been solved and now we'll just move our attention elsewhere. I mean, historically that is not how any media works. And, you know, listen, you and I are not above this. We're also like, we're participating in, we're fascinated in talking about Britney Spears. There is like a whole level of interest around it. And I don't know if it just goes away and everyone's suddenly like, okay, cool. Like have a nice private life now. Yeah. I, 
Yeah. Did like, everyone just like back off? Like, are we, are we done here? <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. It, it's an interesting question. Also, does she have young fans? Like, like, does she have Gen Z fans? Do you think? I honestly, all I know is kind of what you see in the documentaries, like of recording outside of the courtrooms, which is a small, but dedicated group of free Britney people. And I, and I do think some of them are younger than us. And I would have put myself as like the target Britney Spears audience because I was like 12 when Oops, I Did It Again came out and I like was very formative. But so I do think that she's recruited younger listeners. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think especially the the, the people who have come to be identified with the like free Britney movement have like a younger generation's interaction with the internet, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so probably somewhat is she getting new fans right now? I don't know. And what are they fans of again? Is it the music? Is it this cause? Uh, It's, it's kind of hard to say at this point. Also, I wonder like if her Instagram, how her Instagram style plays to an audience that doesn't have the context of like the full Britney context. Right. Though, again, I think it's, we talked about this before. It might not be like out your and my Instagram taste. I mean, she just like posts a lot of like quote card memes, but that's great. So do a lot of people on Instagram, you know, that's, that's, it's just a different way of using it. And it might not ever be to my particular taste, but it is a taste that works for a lot of people. Um, and, and there are a lot of people who we're following every aspect of her like Instagram life, even before she took control over it. I remember like 15 months ago, texting you about her Instagram, just being like, what is going on here? Yeah. And it just, it remains my main fascination with Brittany is like how she communicates and trying to understand like the mechanics of it. I still don't fully get it. Even though the New Yorker article kind of got into it about how there's like an agency and and whatnot. Like she likes to sends whatever and the agency posts it, but like, I still don't fully get it. It's just confusing to me. Right. And in a lot of ways that's pretty standard, right? I mean, I think for other celebrities, you and I have this assumption and are comfortable and, and most people are comfortable with the idea of the celebrities aren't always there behind their Instagram or Twitter account, like posting everything. They have a team, they have people social managing it. It's like a, it's a full-time job. It really takes a lot to be that dedicated, but because Britney Spears has been in this terrible legal situation for so long and has had so much difficulty speaking for herself in any part of her life. Like any sort of intermediary becomes fraught and you're sort of questioning what's going on here and how much is this her and how much is this what other people are telling her to do. And, I, you know, I guess those questions probably won't go away instantly, mm-hmm. though even there, like, I feel my own instincts of being like, I, I have some more questions, but also maybe just let her ride into the sunset if that's what she wants to do. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I think the concern is, does she not the concern? Cause I don't want to concern troll, but like the question is, does she get to ride off into the sunset where like people are like pushing out that content every day about her, lots of documentaries. She clearly doesn't like them, even though I would argue they also played like a pretty notable role in sort of mainstreaming what was like an internet discussion, bringing a lot of people in and putting a lot more, a wider span of attention on the court cases. Like I, I could be wrong, but it does seem to me in the timeline of how the, the legal aspects of this played out. It was after that first New York times documentary that everyone started having the conversation about where like Jamie Spears' team and the and the and the courts themselves, who I, I don't think have behaved in what is a like particularly respectable light, like started feeling the pressure and making changes. So, I, you know, there's something there, but also now we're just doing them like a dime a dozen, and then all yeah. the essays about like what are we doing about like you know, and 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 you and I are doing it here too. So I don't mean to malign anybody, but of course, yeah, of course. It seems like it seems like there's more content coming this way yeah. in that in that respect. Content this way comes. Um, so you also just just wonder, like, who her team will be, like, who sure. who will be part of her decision making? Because, you know, cynically, 
I would love a Britney Spears reality show now. It's just sort of like a starting over or like, you know, Britney in control or seeing her assemble a team and not because, you know, not because she, um, there's like anything wrong with her, but because when you're as famous as her, you need the assistance. Like you need a publicist, you need a manager, you need a financial advisor. Like, and I would love to know like how she assembles those teams. And then like, what are the decisions she's going to make? I'm, I'm really curious. Like it's kind of like seeing someone enter adulthood in a way where she's like being given control that she didn't have before. And it's really fascinating. And, and I think one thing that probably is important to note is like the major development was that Jamie Spears was, was removed as the conservator. Um, but it's, uh, I think if I understand correctly, it's unclear exactly how all of her finances and like matters and affairs will be managed going forward. Like I, I have, I have no idea. I, I presume she will be much more in control, but I think that actually remains to be seen. Right. I believe that a temporary, um, conservator was placed like in, in Jamie's said an, an accountant and, uh, the the timeline, as I understand it, and the expectation is that, you know, there's another court date. I, I believe in November, though, those dates keep changing and at which they'll file to to dissolve the conservatorship. Um, and I may be misunderstanding the legal aspects of this because, again, I'm not a lawyer, nor am I one of the people in like Britney's legal army on Twitter. But the distinction to remove Jamie versus dissolving the conservatorship had something to do with access to the, how the conservatorship has been run thus far and being able to investigate what Jamie and other members of the conservatorship did and possibly some sort of like accountability or um, a better understanding of how all of this happened. And I believe that Brittany's lawyer in particular is pushing for that. So it's not totally, you're right that it's not over and it's not, um, a hundred percent clear when she will be in full legal control, but it seems like things are like headed that way legally. Yeah. 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 Which is, which is just great news. What a win for Twitter. Here we are discussing Twitter. <laughs> yes, that's true. A win for Brittany, a win for Twitter. Um, yeah, this came out during the great Instagram adage yesterday. I was also recording a pod yesterday for the bachelor party about mm-hmm. this, about not about this, about the bachelor. And I kept wanting to like check Instagram followers is a huge currency, um, in bachelor nation. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't because it was down and what a, what an experience that we all went through. I was far more impacted by WhatsApp being down than, than Instagram. I would say like in terms of like, um, just doing my, my daily stuff. Yeah. But, uh, like I talked to two really close friends via WhatsApp and one of them's in London. And, and so WhatsApp is like pretty essential. Although, you know, I guess we could SMS. The other is just, is in DC, but that's just like the way that we communicate. Sure. Um, really threw me for a loop. I think WhatsApp structurally was the biggest issue internationally in terms of the adage, because it is like functionally a utility for like much of the world in terms of communication. And then Instagram was like, what about all the influencers and uh, reality TV stars who like, I I said that with like a a joke in my voice because we live in a surreal world, but I, I do understand that a lot of people's livelihood at this point depends on being able to access people specifically through Instagram. And, you know, they, they miss their marks or whatever. And you know, that it's, it says a lot about the centralization of, of certain communication in this country and yada, yada. But it also just, I was startled at how many times I instinctively opened my phone and like tried to open Instagram and just see what was up. And it wasn't up. And I was like, I have a disease. Me too. So I felt the same way. I instinctively just went to open the app and I'd be like, oh, right. It isn't working. And then I actually kind of felt free for my phone. I was like, I have a lot less to do on here without Mm -hmm. WhatsApp and Instagram. Mm -hmm. So I deleted the app and I'm going to try to keep it off my phone for as long as possible. Okay. I like feel like I will check it at my computer during my workday to like see if I've gotten any messages. But like the influx of 
other people's information and like just like photos and like, you know, stalking people and like keeping track of like people I haven't spoken to in 15 years or more. Sure. Is like is a net negative. Like I think we've always known this, but I felt it so acutely yesterday. And then as is my want, I woke up at about 330 a.m. And instead of descending into a phone hole, I read and I was like, wow, this is great. What a nice morning I'm having here. Not my phone. And Instagram brings me back to my phone so much. It's sick. Like I have a real fucking problem. And so I am, I'm doing a detox. I'm not just totally getting off it, but like I'm taking it off my phone and I'm going to really try hard to, to not go there for as long as I can. I want to ask what you read. Um, I'm bringing the matrix by Lauren Groff. So am I, uh, what page are you on? I'm on like page 25 because I started last night. I bought it at your recommendation. I was very excited. Um, I'm almost done. So when you've completed it, we can discuss, perhaps we'll do it on this podcast. And, um, it is a weird book that at first I was like, I have no idea where this is going. But then when I was like 50 pages in into it, I like had a lot of strong feelings about it. And many of them have been borne out. Um, so I'm looking forward to discussing and understanding your experience. I'll just say it's so different than fates and furies. And I would say it's like a deceptively challenging book. Um, but it's, it's, I, I really, I'm really enjoying it. Um, it's super interesting and different and, and just not what I was expecting at all. Deceptively challenging is better than just plain challenging. So oh, for sure. I, yeah. This episode is brought to you by eBay authenticity guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear are so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Okay, so I, I wanted to ask you that, but also I interrupted what was a great segue, which was like getting off the internet and yeah. detoxing, <laughs> which sets us up perfectly for like the main event of this podcast, honestly, which is the art friend story. Which, oh my God, what a story. So the official version, the official title of this story is Who is the Bad Art Friend? It's in the New York Times Magazine. It's written by um, Bob Kolker. And... I just, exhilarating is the only word that I can use to describe this story about two fiction writers or aspiring writers, we can get into that, uh, who just made a lot of choices and then decided to share all of their choices with the public at large via social media, short story writing, lawsuits and ultimately giving full interviews to the New York times magazine. <laughs> I, I want to start there. Okay. This is not a flattering story in my opinion for either of the women in question. It's there's two subjects. Um, yet they both gave a lot of access to the New York times. And I find that shocking. <laughs> right. I, I mean, it, it is one of those things. And I say this as someone who once upon a time aspired, um, 
maybe I like wasn't like a full journalist, but like you could group me as in like journalism is good. I, journalism is wonderful. And all public figures should be held accountable at all times. And also people who are really willing to just like give a lot of interviews to a lot of places, you always got to be a little suspicious, right? You sure. know, like <laughs> someone who is willing to share this much. I, I don't know. It's like, should it, it's, is it always the right move? I'm not really sure, but yes, this is not a flattering story for either person. It's also, I think like a tremendous Rorschach test about what you see in these people and who you ultimately like side with, which I like, you don't have to decide with anyone. I think it's like bad behavior all around, but what your impulse is, um, reveal about you is I think fascinating. Do you want to summarize it really quickly? The, sure. the complaint? Yes, sure. So there's two women who, um, were in the same writing milieu based in Boston and one continues to live on the East coast. The other lives in Southern California. The one who lives in Southern California is named Dawn Dorland. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Her name, her name is Dawn Dorland. And she donated a kidney just because it's called like a, li- a living donor um, a few years ago and then posted about it on Facebook and invited many of her friends into the Facebook group. And she thought that Sonia Larson was one of those friends. However, Sonia Larson did not join the group. And then she <laughs> she joined the group, but she didn't participate in the group. Right. She didn't post about it and she didn't initiate conversations with Don Dorlin about her very public campaign about how she donated a kidney to an anonymous individual. Right. Who she then actually ended up meeting who sure. uh, was an Orthodox Jewish man. Anyway, <laughs> Don then um, emailed Sonia to sort of suss out why she wasn't participating in the conversation. And it basically comes sort of like, a, a terse and awkward conversation that you've probably had with a friend that you are phasing out or you're being phased out by where it's sort of like, Oh, right. Like ex- exchanging pleasantries. And then yes. Would you like to add something to that, Amanda? No, no, no. I, I, I mean, I, I think that's right. It's a little bit, <laughs> it, it's exchanging pleasantries. I don't know how many conversations I've had in my life about like, why didn't you respond to this post that I did on Facebook and, or, talk to me at great length about my uh, Facebook postings, but I do understand that it's the world we live in now. Continue. (laughs) And so then it turns out that Sonia has written a short story that is pretty widely lauded. I believe it ends up in the best American short stories, 2017. And um, it turns out that it is about a, uh, Asian American woman and Sonia herself is mixed race, white and Asian. She's Asian. Amer- she identifies as Asian American. And it turns out that in this story, there is an Asian American character. Um, and then a white woman who has donated a kidney to this Asian American woman. And they didn't, they didn't know each other, but then the story basically becomes about, um, who changes like based on this series of events, essentially there's a car accident or the Asian American woman, um, needs a kidney transplant. She gets it from this woman, this, this character who spoiler alert is seemingly, or maybe not based on Don Dorland. And, um, it ends up being a skewering more of the donor than the woman who got into the car crash. And from here, all hell breaks loose. Sonia denies that the story is based on Don Dorland's experience, But as we get deeper and deeper into the article, it becomes more and more clear that many very specific details from Dawn's life are incorporated into this piece, including how Sonia views her. But more importantly, there are word for word um, passages that are allegedly um, communications from the donor, the Dawn Dorland character in the story that are essentially lifted from the Facebook group where she posted about her experience being a living donor. And so from wait, there, hold on, hold on one second. That's all perfect. I just want to add that the way that it becomes clear to us and to the world that Sonia Larson has borrowed um, facts or inspiration from Don Dorland's life is because Don Dorland hears about this short story, uh, confronts Sonia about it and what starts as a personal interaction about 
inspiration, but honestly, it's framed from John's perspective in, in terms of friendship and uh, what and details we share becomes an extended legal battle. And so I also just wanted to say that it was a different uh, short story that was published in Best American um, short stories because oh excuse me well it, only because th- this short story has been under such uh, legal scrutiny that I, I most people have like had to decline to publish it for fear of uh, legal action and the legal scrutiny is over plagiarism essentially what yes Don has has accused Sonia of not only being a bad friend but also um, plagiarizing her words in Facebook on Facebook yes <laughs> so. I think there's a couple of ways that then you can interpret the story, which kind of gets back to your Rorschach test, Amanda. And I'll give you my, my three modes of interpretation. One I think is undeniable. One is that Facebook is bad and leads to no good. Number Um, one takeaway. You got to stop posting on the internet. Okay. (laughs) That's not, that's number one, right? We all agree. That's number one. (laughs) Number two is, I think you could read this as, and I think that the quotes from, Sonia led me in part to this interpretation, having not read the story, um, which I certainly will be seeking out if possible, though I imagine it's very hard to find due to the the litigious nature. I think that you could read it as um, a sort of study and perhaps castigation of white privilege and like to have the audacity to think that you like giving um, a kidney is like, like, first of all, like a something that you should that you should do if you don't have to. And also that like you should receive tons of accolades and attention and praise after this act of altruism, therefore negating your act of altruism. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's also seems to be an aspect of the story, which is about uh, the Asian American woman's family and like expecting her to change. And so a lot about like who should change for, for whom and and, like which narratives tend to um, supersede others. So I think that's one potential reading Uh, again, Mm -hmm. I've not read the story, but I think that's like what Sonia's quotes suggest. And then the other is reading it as like a, as interpreting the story as a brazen act of bad friendship and plagiarism and reductive understanding of what it means to donate a kidney. And I think that like the, I think that like of scenarios two and three, of course, we all agree on one. Facebook is bad. Get off Facebook. But of two and three, it feels really tilted towards um, Sonia's point of view. And I'll just say that's like my that's my own interpretation or my own regurgitation really, because the article in the times by Bob Colker, which you should all read is actually, I would say very even keeled. And as we said at the beginning, makes both parties look bad. And it's not, there's not like a clear, like winner or loser villain or hero or heroine in this case. I agree with all of that. And I think you're very perceptive to point out that the one missing piece is, is the story itself and not just in the legal ticky tack of like, okay, how much did she change the names and the something? And what is the final version? And like, is this plagiarism, which is an interesting part of this story. I mean, there's a lot going on, but, but to me kind of like, you know, social media plagiarism, like fiction laws, while definitely notable and, and probably like the most conclusive thing that you can say about this story because based on existing laws and the way they lay it out, it does seem like Sonia Larson is, is in the wrong in this case or not in the wrong, but um, it's not going to, it's not going to win the plagiarism case. But to me, what's more interesting and, and what is sort of to be missing is like, we, you, we don't know what the story is. And you said, we don't know how she interpreted it and we don't know, not just like fiction, but, versus reality and stealing someone's story, but how much of sh- she was able to bring out those themes of her own experience versus what she saw um, or what this one incident opened up in her imagination, as she keeps saying about um, people's behavior on the internet and in real life and specifically white people's behavior. So that is kind of the one question mark. Otherwise you're totally right. It has, a, I don't, I think that it puts them both in a bad light, but I don't think it's necessarily like a um, a hit piece on either of them. It's a story yeah, about agreed. a lot of people behaving badly. And it really illustrates a lot of, I, I think, frankly, horrifying uh, patterns of of people behaving 
online and people putting themselves online and entitlement and, and like a little bit main character syndrome, which I never actually read those think pieces, but this sense of, um, what is owed to you and and like why people do things now because of social media and honestly, like how people get attention. And then also how the rest of us respond to that. I, I think you guys should read this story. I'm sorry to spoil this reveal. I will just say at some point, uh, text messages and emails are introduced into the story. And just so so you know, just like a PSA for everyone, if one of your friends gets involved in some sort of legal spat uh, involving someone else, your group chat may be subpoenaed and like published for all to see in the New York Times. And that's what happened. Someone's group chat got published, Sonia Larson's group chat, including a number of other writers, including Celeste Ng, who wrote Little Fires Everywhere, got published in the legal documents and then in the New York Times. And they're not very nice. Of course, they're not very nice. We've all been on group chat. It's like the one, I don't know if I should call it sacred space. I still use it as a sacred space. Now, maybe I'm rethinking that. But it it is mean spirited and it is both... I guess it's about art and inspiration. I mean, it certainly is, but it is also just about the other side of putting yourself out there or being on Facebook and then, or being in public and the way people respond to it, which I found like very recognizable behavior, if really unflattering behavior. So it's, there's a lot going on. I would say the thing that resonated to me the least was this argument about it being about friendship? These women are not friends. No. They were never friends. I, I also like, you know, for, lo- for at risk of seeming like a bad person or crazy myself, I, I think that I was so biased in reading this article about, um, I, was so, I was so biased by the opening salvo basically being about a woman opting to give away a kidney and then like bragging about it on Facebook. Totally. Um, and, I think anyone who's ever had any surgery can just tell you that like surgery is no joke and to to opt into one to give away an organ, um, anonymously, like is, a, a, I guess like just to me an incomprehensibly beautiful thing to do, but it is also so, um, risky and dangerous and like on so many levels that I had a hard time reading any quote or any fact or any tidbit about Dawn with anything but like in, intense skepticism and like just like astonishment because I cannot imagine. Doing of that. course. Especially, but yeah. Is, like, that, is that biased? Because it's not just that she decides to do what is a very generous thing, the actual donation of the kidney. Um I like I agree with you, surgery is really tough and it's actually like taking on a lot, but also supremely generous. What this story then portrays is how she like turns that into her identity and she makes this face group book group about it. She's confronting people who haven't like brought it up with her and congratulated her on doing this. I believe at one point she's like in the Rose Bowl parade. And in some ways that's about advocacy for donation. And in some ways that's about look at this thing that I did. So at what point, like, is it, you know, what is the definition of altruistic? Right. So, and, and, and that's just all in the, in the piece. And I think most people well, you and I res- respond that way. But so, so I agree with you, but I think that's just another, this is like a perfect test case example of like so many different internet phenomena and artistic phenomena, like meeting in a way that I think is fascinating and nobody wins. Like that's the thing. No. Nobody comes off looking good. Can I ask you a question? Yes. Who would you like to direct the movie version or the TV version of this article? This is really good. I I think it's got to be TV would be really long, right? If this were a mini series, yeah. it'd be a great movie. It'd, it'd be, be a great, great movie. movie. I, I I think. God. I feel. I wonder if we're gonna have the same answer. Well, should we say it on three? No, because I'm trying to think through it. I think. Okay. Do you want to know my answer? Yeah, go ahead. Alexander Payne. There's no doubt. Oh my God. He's the only man for the job. (laughs) I was honestly going between Greta Gerwig and Shonda Rhimes. 
Oh, wow. Interesting. Different take. I Love definitely, I, I, like, I, I would like a woman because. Yes. That was my I, one regret about Alexander Payne that he's a man. And I agree when I said that I, like, I don't think these women are friends and the thing that rings false for me is friendship. I, I don't, I mean that in regards to the two of them, not in regards to the author of the piece. I think it is like another interesting thing about you know, female friendship, like everything else has been like commodified right now. And I feel like all of the content that's served to me about female friendship is about people who aren't friends um, mm. and who never were friends and who don't understand it, except as like a performative thing. So, as you know, that's yes. my central problem with my brilliant friend and why I only read one of the four books. 1000%. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> like, I also agree with you, God, we are just revealing ourselves to be total psychos, but that's okay. That's the beauty of this piece is that it teaches us about everyone. But yes, I agree that I did not recognize that model of quote friendship uh, or even like female relationships or I recognized it, but I wouldn't have termed it friendship, which is maybe the point, you know, I might want to give Alana Ferrante a little bit of credit and can you always judge, can you judge the artist by the response? Another great question in this piece. Anyway. I'd like to, for that reason, I'd like to see a a woman direct it just because I think, you know, we've all been living in the female friendship prison for, for many years at this point. And I think Shonda could do a lot of, you know, she has a real facility both with sensational aspects and uh, like, and, and understanding relationships between women and, and still having a little bit of fun with it. I think Greta Gerwig's would be the more acid tongue to take. I also don't Mm. know how much time Greta Gerwig spends on the internet. And this is of course like a major internet story. And as you pointed out, there is the, the fact that this is a relationship between one white woman and a woman of color. So, you know, I think Shonda has a lot of facility with that as well. So I guess maybe Shonda Rhimes directing a movie. Um, Maybe Greta Gerwig could write it and Shonda Rhimes could direct it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or Shonda could write it and Greta could direct it. Sure, yeah. Um, I think you made a really good case. I think that makes perfect sense. I said Alexander Payne because I was thinking of like the slapstick torture of yeah. Matthew Broderick in election <laughs> and George Clooney and the Descendants. And that sort of like visceral frustration, I felt like defined the Don Dorland character to mm-hmm. me. And that's why I thought of Alexander Payne. Yeah, there is a bit of like nice Tracy Flick in her, but nice Tracy Flick is sort of the internet persona of the current age in a way that I just got really physically uncomfortable thinking about it. <laughs> um, but that's why it's such a good, good piece. I don't know. I, I This will obviously be optioned. So congratulations to Bob Colker, I guess. Um, no, no, I not, I guess. He he did a great job on this piece. I, I recommend reading it. You guys... If you read it and you have a completely different reaction than Juliet and I did, totally valid. That's yeah. that's the beauty of it. Um, I also would just say I was thinking a lot about Sandra O, oh, the chair mm-hmm. for um for the Sonia Larson character. Okay. I think so. that's great. Yeah, cool. Oh, you know who else would be really good for the, to be involved in this production in some way? Tell me. Fee- uh, Phoebe Waller Bridge. Let's reunite her with Sandra O. Oh. Okay. I think that sounds great. That will Maybe be like she a could, really mean version of this story. She could, she could write it and Sean Rives could direct it. Okay. I'm open to it. All right. Just think about it. Okay. All right. Let's move on. Okay. Two, two more hot topics. Yeah. Another. Also about women. Um, Katie Couric is doing something of a press tour. I'm not sure she's doing something. We can't really call it a press tour, but she's got a book coming out that is kind of like trying to take down everyone possible. And so far <laughs> it's resulted in her being banned from CBS. Yeah, this is an incredible non-press tour. So she has a memoir coming out at the end of October. Incredible timing with the morning show, which I know that nobody but uh, myself and Bill Simmons and Nora Princiati are watching. That's okay. And it is, so far, seems way juicier than the fictionalized version. Katie Couric has decided to just share all of her feelings about everyone that she ever worked with and perhaps without a lot of consideration for how those revelations will be received in the wider world, which is great newsmaking. I mean, page six is having a field day with this stuff. I should say this is all like page six reporting on excerpts of the memoir, as opposed to having actually read the text. It's 
you or I having read the text itself. So you got to take stuff like with a grain of salt, obviously things get sensationalized, but it seems like a sort of ridiculous late nineties throwback score settling memoir that I I'm fascinated that she's deciding to do this. I'm also fascinated that Apple has spent like $200 million trying to create a TV show about all of this. And Katie Couric's just succeeding at a far greater level, <laughs> like without even having released the book. It's amazing. Um, today, uh, she's banned from CBS because of some of the stories she told about Les Moonves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so far, my my favorite anecdote, of course, has been that she said when she met Prince Harry, when he was in his, quote, oat sewing phase, he smelled, he reeked of... Um, cigarettes and alcohol. I mean, not surprising, but just like kind of the confirmation was, was thrilling. Um, she also, uh, seems to hate Diane Sawyer yes. and said, and said that I think she also went for Martha Stewart, if I recall correctly. Yes. Again, according to this book. And so it's tricky because all of the revelations are trying to kind of portray her in the cattiest light possible, which until I see the book, I don't really know. And so everything about Matt Lauer is being played for since you know, scandal one way. Mm-hmm. And then everything about every other female newsmaker is being played for scandal in the other way. Um, and I, like, I don't know, we haven't read the book, but Martha Stewart and Diane Sawyer, I mean, Katie Kirk and Diane Sawyer were like definite rivals in the nineties in the morning show, I, in the morning show wars. I don't remember very much, but I remember that. And, and then I believe at some point Katie Kirk, remember she became the anchor of CBS evening news and to try to become like a serious news journalist or whatever. And that went terribly. So again, score settling across the board is what it seems to be. I'm pretty fascinated. I wonder if anyone under the age of 50 besides me cares. Yeah. And also then what she does next. Cause I think people, I think, I think luckily for her, she's catering to a demo that still buys books, which is good. They'll buy this book. Right. Um, but then where does she work again after this? Like, I guess she can just do her own self publishing this, you know, plenty of options these days, but like just pe- do people want to hear a gossip podcast with Katie Kirk? Probably. Is that her plan? I can't, I, I doubt it. So I'm curious to see where this leads her. She does, I think a newsletter right now. I think she also does a podcast that is not particularly huge. Right. I mean, I think like she was at Yahoo for a while and then, or like was doing a podcast before it didn't really pan out for her. Cause I think her intended audience wasn't really on the podcast wave, you know, as you mm-hmm. said, she's perhaps identified her audience and the people who buy books, uh, demo. And it seems a little bit like she's kind of done. And so just is writing this book. I'm not totally sure if, if that is the case of, of course she seems incredibly ambitious and would like to keep doing things, but I don't know, read her Grub Street diet for a couple years ago. Oh, it's so good. I think we covered that here. Yeah. I mean, she's just like, I don't know. I went to a party with Henry Kissinger and ate some tomatoes. Uh, Like, (laughs) maybe she's not too worried about it. You know, I wish her the best. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Lastly for today, Adele released a teaser clip today for her new song coming October 15th called Easy On Me. It's black and white. She's in a car. She's thrown paper to the wind. And we didn't get a lot. But the the song is coming soon. We've been waiting for this moment for six plus years, Amanda. It's big. Yeah, I was just going to ask, how are you feeling? You know, Adele's star turn, at, like, you know, moving to Beverly Hills and dating Rich Paul has been so disappointing for me that it sort of like <laughs> tempers my enthusiasm. <laughs> Nevertheless, I love Adele's music mm-hmm. um, so much. And I'm really, I'm really excited. I also like... I just love when a heavy hitter throws their weight around. So like, I'm like, excited for like Adele to just kind of like own the next few months. And like, you know, I'm an Ed Sheeran fan, but like, I'm sick of Ed Sheeran. We don't need him on the radio constantly. Okay. So this is great news. I don't know. I'm excited. I think I'm just like jaded. I don't know. This, this is what happens when you just start dating an agent and live in Beverly Hills. I become jaded. I, so I would agree that the that's, I hope that that's not what the album is about. You know, that's not really yeah. the content that I'm looking for. I saw just speculation that based on billboards that showed up places with just 30 and yeah. nothing else on them, that the album would be called 30. And I which, don't, I don't buy that. She, you when don't. 25 came out. No, when 25 came out, she was 
definitive about saying she would not be doing her ages any further for her records. And like, okay. I don't know, maybe she changed her mind, but it's also like the branding of those billboards doesn't completely match the branding of this new record of this, like this teaser. And I just, I just don't buy it. Also, like I understand her album probably was delayed because of COVID. Um, it was rumored to come last year and now it's, you know, this year, but and that typically she, she names it after like the age at which she started writing. So even though she's 33 now, 30 could map, but like, I just, I, I feel like she's in a new phase. Also, if I were her, uh, I mean, she is in a new phase, you know, her previous album, she was still with her husband and I, I just would be surprised if she was continuing that motif. You're the expert. I trust you more than anyone else. I was, Thank I you. was mixed on it. I liked the consistency, you know, I like yeah. the project that we're doing. And also, you know, I like the idea that anyone's trying to sell the concept of being 30 to the world, a 30 year old woman to the world at large. Like, thank you. Even though, frankly, my other response was 30 seems further away than it used to, to me. Amanda Dobbins. <laughs> so that's tough, but we can talk about that some other time. The other thing I would say is, you know, there's a new James Bond movie this week. So mm. I just have been blasting Skyfall in the house. Just so good to myself. Sky, Skyfall is just tremendous. And I'm really grateful for Adele. And I will I'll be glad to have her back. Me too. Love Adele. I hope to see her in concert. Should I be so lucky? I, I would love that for you as well. How like would you do full stadium tour for Adele? Um, I would need to be certain that I had like a good seat and like wouldn't, wouldn't okay. have to stand the whole time. Okay. <laughs> so talking about speaking of 30. Um yeah. I think that's great. I I'm excited for new Adele stuff. She's very talented and I like her a lot. I yeah she's she's the best. I mean I'm excited to have her back. I don't know. It's just a lot a lot of conflicts that I'll continue to work through. Uh, but I'll be doing it offline because as you know taking an Instagram break. That's true. <laughs> what we've learned is don't, don't post just no more posting. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, thank you all for listening. Thank you, Erica Cervantes for, uh, producing this episode. Definitely check out the article in the New York times by Bob Kolker. It is so good. And, uh, look forward to the movie adaptation. Can't wait to find out who they go with. It, me too. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.